So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of Fix and Flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I am so glad that you made it, that you took the time to turn us on and listen to us. Man, get ready because I've got a really good show with my good friend, Tim Bratz. He's in Collective Genius with me. We do uh, some masterminding together and he has a wonderful story of really how he started as a realtor and now owns lots of multifamilies, doing lots of big things and it's it's fun because he started as, as he said, like a snotty-nosed kid, and uh, he's really matured and grown, and in the last nine years have really created something special. So this goes to show it doesn't matter how old you are, where you're at in life, if you start putting your mind to things and, and start putting it out there in the world that you want to be successful, you can really have it all. So uh, before we get started, as always, if you haven't gone to the uh, workshop and got the workshop, uh, Kahuna Wealth Builders, we are now opening the Kahuna Boardroom, okay? So if you want to get into my next boardroom event, it'll be in uh, San Diego. It's going to be in August. We've not locked down the dates yet, but it will be sometime in August in San Diego. That's going to be a really fun event. Uh, it's $5,000 get a, an online course we're only allowing 35 people in so it is not the big guru show it's going to be me teaching 35 people all my secrets and really getting in deep with everybody to where you're going to have my cell phone and, and, and access to me I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to be available i'm not running off the stage it is a really cool event we're doing our first one in april it's already sold out We've booked every uh, every spot. It's huge success. We're really excited about it, and it's going to be fun. There may be even some fire dancers because you can't be the big kahuna unless you have a luau, okay? So um, it will be fun. I just want to give you guys that note. And as always, we love and appreciate any five-star iTunes reviews, even four stars. I'll take four. Five's better. But if you want to give me four, I'm okay. But uh, take the time, really, honestly, take the time to go onto that iTunes and and like give me a shout out. I would love to call out your name and and let you know how you know what you think about it. So that's all, my friends. So hold on because Kansas is about ready to go bye bye. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host Corey Peterson. I've got a special treat for you today. I've got my friend Tim Bratz, and uh, he has got a unique story, and it's funny how 
the more and more I talk with people each and every day about the multifamily space, how they start to realize that it really is the right place to be. So I don't want to steal any of his story. I want him to kind of give it to us all. And uh, Tim, introduce yourself and let's let's just start about, let's talk about how you started and, and where you're at now and, and kind of where, where were you? Like, just yeah. give, us, give us the whole story. No, I appreciate you having me on this, man. Really, really been excited to uh, jump on here. Been, been watching you and paying attention to you for a while now. So uh, excited to be on the podcast. So I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, man, my, my story, I'm 32 years old, got started in real estate straight out of college, never had a job. Always been, you know, kind of an entrepreneur, trying to make it happen on my own. My, my dad was uh, always telling me, go, go, go work, get a good job, and all that stuff. But at the same time, he had a good job and had his own business. And uh, I saw that he, he made his money in his side business. He made more money in his side business than he made in his full time job. So I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and go that route. And yep. so uh, when I was going through college in 03 to 07, the market was going crazy. And everybody's like, if you want to make money, get involved in real estate. So that's what motivated me back then and got involved in real estate in New York City, some commercial leasing and retail sales. I'm, I'm from Cleveland, by the way. I just lived in New York uh, after college because my brother lived out there. Okay. And, and I, was, I was a real estate agent. I was a broker for commercial stuff in New York City. So I was negotiating leases and uh, seeing these investment sales. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, the leases that were being negotiated and seeing these landlords making tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on just the ground floor retail, not to mention all the apartments above it. And I'm like, man, I'm on the wrong side of the coin. I need to be owning rental property instead of brokering it. So I decided um, after about a year of doing that, I just picked up and for a, a lifestyle change, moved down to Charleston, South Carolina. And in Charleston, I uh, you know did a little bit of the analysis paralysis thing where I just you know hunkered down, read every book, went to every seminar, spent a lot of money, got into some debt, uh, but eventually I realized, you know, if I was going to learn how to swim, I needed to just jump in the water. And right. so I found the cheapest house. This is after the market tanks. This is 2009. I bought my first house. 2009 this month, actually. So it's been uh, nine years since I bought my first house and bought it actually using my credit card. I had about five, no, nah, probably $8,000, $9,000 saved up to my name. I'm 23 years old at the time. And uh, called my credit card company, increased the limit, got them to give me some of those like balance transfer checks. And yeah. I used that, uh, took it to closing and the, the uh, closing attorney's like, dude, you can't bring a balance transfer check to buy a house. Like get the hell out of here and go and, you know, put the money in your bank and then bring it back and then uh, give me certified funds and all that. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured out. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Hold on. Time out. So hold on. You started <laughs> off. This is, that's cool. That's a cool little story. Cause okay. You're, you're in the realtor game. Like you got, you know, like a lot of times this happens to a lot of people like, Oh, I want to get real estate. So I'm going to be a realtor. Right. And you realize that that's just not where the money's at. Right. And you're like, from there, you're like, oh, I need to, I need to segue. And then the market crashed. Right. Probably the greatest thing ever happened to you. And, and yeah. why you were a realtor, you didn't screw up anything. Right. Yeah. And then, okay, now we're back in the single family home phase and you're like, I'm ready. And then you got like totally creative. Like, that is out of the box thinking, right? And that's honestly, majority of the time, what it takes in this business is out of the box thinking, right? How do you put a deal together? And you went and found a way to make it work. And you know what? It wasn't like even, you didn't have even all the, the right things together. You just went and did it. And then people told you along the way, oh, well, you got to do it this way. Oh, okay. Right? Yep. Dude. So, so one right. of the things that I found, just like you're saying, Corey, is, is that 
you know, a lot of people don't get involved in real estate because they don't think they have the resources. Like they don't have the time, they don't have the money, they don't have the knowledge. The reality is the only resource that you need is the ultimate resource, which is resourcefulness. If you have resourcefulness, you can go and find all those things. You can find the money, you can find the deals, you can find the knowledge, you can find the time. So if you're resourceful, that is the ultimate resource. And that's really all you need in order to be successful, I think, in anything. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's hardwired or people learn it. I think you absolutely can learn it and, and definitely like dial that in just by asking yourself better questions. Instead of having that, that negative commentary in your head of like, oh, I don't have any money. Maybe ask yourself, how can I get the money? Yes, what that does, it transfers your thinking to more of a, of a thought-provoking mindset versus just like a minimizing, self-diminishing mindset. Instead of saying, I wish, or I, 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 man, how do they do that? You, when you start asking yourself the how can I, like you're mm -hmm. trying to solve for X, and really that's what you're saying is, and when you're curious and resourcefulness, you know, when you put together the problem right, then you say, okay, well, how do I solve for it, right? Yeah. How could I make that happen? How, what would it take? And then yeah. you start putting things together. Yeah. Yep. Love 100%, it. Man. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're asking yourself good questions and you're finding the answers, you ask yourself better questions, you get better answers, you know? So that's, um, that's all I did, man. And so I bought that house. I fixed it all up. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. Didn't know how to sell it. So I just, I got a yard sign, put that in the yard, made some flyers up, went and knocked on all the doors of all the neighbors. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm selling my house. You know, if anybody wants it, like I physically did all the work. I, I changed out the carpet. I did the painting. I did the landscaping. Did, uh, I'll change out all the fixtures. And, um, you know, turned it around inside 75 days. And I made about $15,000 in the worst real estate economy ever. And I'm a 23-year-old, you know, punk kid. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm making money. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. You're making money so moves, bro. <laughs> so I did it again, did it again. And eventually I got into wholesaling. So we all know what wholesaling is, contracting a property, selling the contract, and taking a fee on that. And so, so by networking with a lot of these active investors who had the cash, who had the, the resources to buy these things, I was able to develop relationships with them. And eventually I was able to find, I, well, I built it up enough credibility with them where they're like, hey, Tim, you know what a deal is. Like if, they, if I was going to give them a call or shoot them an email, they always open it because I only sent out good deals. That was, a, that was, that's big. I didn't just send out anything that I could get under contract. I made sure that it was a good deal for whoever was going to be buying it. Yeah. So I got a lot of respect in the community because of that in the investor community. And then what happened was guys saw my work ethic and they're like, listen, I have the money, but I don't have time to oversee more rehabs. I don't have time to go and do more deals. Why don't we do this? I'll bring the capital to the table. You do the work and we'll split the deal 50, 50. And so I did that over and over and over again. Corey, I probably gave up probably my first 250 to 300 deals that I bought. I gave up anywhere from 50 to 70% of those deals. Yeah. And the reason I did that is, you know, and I'm doing 100% of the work. I'm doing the, the finding the deals. I'm negotiating the projects. I'm doing all the due diligence. I'm overseeing the renovations. Sometimes I'm swinging the hammer. I'm handling management. I'm handling maintenance. I'm handling um, the resale process, everything, closings, all that. For, for 20, 30, 40% of the deal, like why would anybody do that? The reason I did it is because I knew I had to build up a resume. I knew I had to have enough deals under my belt so then I can go posture up puff my chest out a little bit and be able to go into banks and get financing and be like, Hey, this is my portfolio. This is everything I've done. A private lender. Here's my experience. You're in safe hands. If you lend your money to Tim Bratz. Yeah. You know? and, and that was the mindset that I went with. And, and so I did that for many, many years. And it wasn't until about 24 months ago where I, uh, I decided to just go off on my own. And so 
All right, hold on. I want to take a timeout because I love like okay. when you give these little nuggets. I gotta. We want to break it down just a minute because this is something that I when I, when I see you like you've brought up a couple of good concepts, but this next concept is one that I think most people are unfortunately unwilling to do. Right, which is, and I say this all the time. You got to be willing, especially when you're new and you and you know you need to like you have to have you want credibility. Okay. Sometimes you have to give up a lot, right, in order to get where you want to go, right? Yep. And most people are just totally unwilling to do that. So I, I have guys, oh, look, here's a deal. I found a deal, right? And they they found a deal. And, like, for me, a deal's worth eh, not that much, right, even an apartment deal, right? Because right. I can go find them, right? Yep. But it's worth something, but it's not worth, like, half. Or it's not worth, like, all this because it takes money, management, all the other pieces to make it work, right? Yeah. And so they think it's worth 50-50 because they went to some other boot camp and said, oh, it's 50-50 it's split. And I'm no. like, well, then go fund your deal then, right? Have fun with that. And and, the, and they get all, like, upset with me. And what they should be doing is be, like, if it's their first deal, they should be willing to do anything. Just for give free. me a piece. Like, honestly, they should do it for free just for the experience. Right? Just get me in the deal so I can say that I own, right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, I wish I could have people that have your mentality because that is the mentality. It's the same mentality that I had, right? When I was wholesaling um, and I was doing just like you, man, I was doing all the work for my investors. I was managing rehabs and they were making yeah. all the money, but mm -hmm. I was building my resume just like you. Awesome. Yeah. Keep going, brother. Yeah, so, you know, so 24 months ago, no, I uh, decided to go off on my own and uh, hey, I, I can probably do this and, and raise my own private capital and maybe not have to give up 70% of the deal. But I, again, I had to go through hundreds of deals in order to, to, to be able to posture up with private lenders to do that. So um, it's really important that, you know, everybody wants, uh, while, we're, while we're talking on that, I just want to hit on another point. Like I get hit up a lot, I'm sure you do, of, hey, Corey, can we hop on the phone? Can I pick your brain? You know, can I take you to coffee? Can I take you to lunch? And Listen, we are the reason you do this podcast is so you can give back on a big level. You know, yeah. I'm the same kind of way. I like I like coming out and, and, and sharing my knowledge, sharing my experience, helping the next person get there a little bit faster. Yep. The issue is we're so busy. And it's not that I'm trying to be disrespectful about it, not sitting down with somebody, but there's so many people I sat down with early on that never did anything with the information. They just took it for granted because I, I went and sat down with them for free and I gave them information for free and then they never did anything. Like I, I love sitting down with the people who are like, listen, Tim, I'll pay you 500 bucks or I'll come work for you for free if you just share your knowledge with how you do what you do. Like, like legitimately, I, I did that exact same thing early on when I was living in Charleston, South Carolina. There's a guy named Patrick Riddle who was big in the, the real estate education space back a few years ago. And uh, I said, hey, Patrick, dude, you're in Charleston. I'm in Charleston. I'm new. I don't have much to bring to the table, but I will literally cut your grass. I will pick up your dog crap. I will, dude, I'll do literally anything. You just teach me how to get to the level that you're at. And because I took that posture with him, he's like, listen, man, don't worry about it. Let's just sit down. Let's go grab a beer. And let me just kind of impart some, uh, uh, some education on you. And actually that he, from that, um, sit down with him is where I learned about the idea of, you know, just doing like a, a cash out refinance, being able to buy a property, like a, like a rental property or an apartment building and be into it for, you know, $600,000 and then you go and refinance it. The bank gives you $800,000. You take 200 grand off the table tax-free and, um, cause it's loan proceeds. And that's like, right. 
where I got that whole mindset. So that's what really like propelled me all because I had the mindset of, listen, man, let me give, give, give in order to receive just a little bit, you know, like what you to help. So I think that's a really important part of the puzzle for people to to plug into. Yeah, Uh, for sure. But yeah. So anyways, two years ago, I, I, Went off on my own, did my own apartment buildings, uh, grown up my portfolio. I did a lot of turnkey oh, rentals. Wait, hold on, when you say you did your own apartment buildings, so how did you get the money? How did you How did you put any of these deals together? So there were a couple guys that, while I was giving up 70% of the project, we started buying some apartment buildings. And I had probably 100, 150 units, and I gave up 70% of those. You know, we bought, it's, bought a single family rental, bought another single family rental, bought a duplex, bought a quadplex, bought an eight unit, bought another eight unit, bought a 14 unit. You know, okay, so but, but each time you're carving yourself in for 30, but you're using someone else's money, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're using somebody else's cash. Yep. And this is, this is Cleveland, Ohio in 2012, 2013. So like I was buying, I was buying apartment buildings for less than $20,000 a unit, you know, okay. so right. you could use cash to do that. And, you know, so, so that there were a couple guys that I, I was partnered up with. It kind of went south. What happened is they weren't lendable. They did, they had cash, but they weren't lendable. And I had good credit. I was doing all the work. And I said, hey, guys, let's like try to divvy up the equity a little bit better. And, um, and they wouldn't do it. So we just decided to liquidate everything about two years ago. So yep. liquidate great point. all. Great point. Let me, let me just want to say something about this, right? Because this happens a lot. So sometimes when you're first starting in the game, the people that give you money in the beginning, not always are the ones that give you the money in the end. Because when you start changing, when you start coming into your own, right? They're used mm-hmm. to playing the game here where they were setting a lot of the rules. Okay. Yeah. And so you got to be okay with this because you're not going to make everybody happy. And yeah. you got to have the heart to heart with those types of people say, hey, listen, I was here, but I'm not here anymore. I'm way now over here. And this yeah. is the new game that I'm going to play. And so yeah. if you want to be involved with that, here's what it looks like. And you've got to set it. You got to have that mindset. And some of them are just going to say, no, thank you. Yeah. Right. And it's okay because I mean, they're running their game. You know, sometimes the money, I call it the godfather, right? When you got, if you had all kinds of money yourself and you're going to go lend it out, you're going to try to negotiate the best deals for you. And it's no different for the person that gave you the money, right? And so they may think, well, I can find another new guy and fund all his deals and make most of the profit. I'll, I'll keep trying. But eventually they're going to have a hard time finding the new guys, right? Yep. And they're going to, sometimes they come back and they say, you know what? Can I just come back, right? I, I, I'm doing, I'm cool with what you're doing, right? But sometimes you gotta let them go first. And to piggyback on that, it's because in the beginning, the money is more important, you know, like like that's that's yeah. hard to get. And, and, but but once you get to a level where you've done enough deals and you have enough knowledge and experience, it's far more difficult to find a phenomenal operator than it is to find money for a deal. Yeah. So so like. I have people literally following me and hounding me to give me money for my apartment building deals because they know it's in good hands. They know I'm a good steward of capital. Once you show that you're a good steward of capital and you know how to manage, you know how to operate real estate, then like literally people will be pounding down your door in order to give you money. And now is a better time than than ever because the economy is great. People are making money. Interest rates are low. Bitcoin just bid it hard. You know, the stock market's falling hard. Like nobody wants... Everybody wants a stable asset and they still have money. So they're trying to put it into real estate. So now is the best time, but you got to get the experience in order for people to lend you the money. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit on a good point too about, you know, the capital and operations, right? So like operations is where the magic happens, right? And being a good steward of people's money. So like money flows, right? We call it cash flow and it flows from people that can't handle it into people that can. 
and mm-hmm. and that people that can make it grow. So when you mm-hmm. learn, when you start getting the reputation that you can take people's money, manage it in assets, right? Manage those assets properly to provide them a, a return and a consistent return, not just a return, but a consistent return, dude. That's when all the little birds, right? If you watch Games of Thrones, uh, varies, right? He's got his little birds, right? And that's what happens. They all tweet, 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 and they tell all their friends. And that's where you get all your next capital. Yeah, it's 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 amazing once you build up that momentum how easy it is to like raise capital and um, and and then you know then you just have to be very disciplined in what you're buying. You have to make sure that you're buying solid deals and you're not just spending money because you have access to money. That's another test. You know, every every level you get. To, more tests. This is going to be one of my best podcasts because this is like all the stuff we're talking about is the true deal, right? Once you start getting lots of money, dude, it is so easy to say, ooh, that's a deal. Mm -hmm. Dude, you got to be disciplined. You got to be conservative in your underwriting. You got to keep your guidelines. You cannot Mm -hmm. just go deploy capital because you have capital. Yep, 100%. So, uh, okay, so two years and now you're you're going in. So now let's get. Yes, yeah. Oh, so, so, you know, kind of part of ways with those guys did some, uh, Turnkey single family. There were a lot of there's a lot of outside investors going into Cleveland from Israel, from Canada, from Australia, from California, DC, New York, that were all buying rental properties in Cleveland. Because, you know, where else in the country can you buy a house for forty, fifty thousand dollars that rents out for eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month? And so a lot of money was flowing in. We were we were flipping houses, but they were we were flipping turnkey houses. I like flipping rental properties because like if you've, you you know, it's like flipping a, um, a retail owner occupied kind of house, like the HGTV stuff, you have all that holding costs. And then you have like a picky spouse who comes in is like, oh, you know, yeah, there's, there's beige on the wall right now, gray's in, and I don't want this house because of it. So I hated doing that. I couldn't stand doing retail flips. So I did turnkey flips where I'd buy a house, you know, for $30,000, I put 10 grand worth of just cosmetics, make it clean, safe, functional. Basic it, stuff, yeah. Place that rents for eight hundred bucks a month, you know, and then I'd sell it for fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars to a to a, a turnkey buyer, and I referred off all the management to another management company, and eventually, what happened is they that management company dropped the ball, and uh, I had to open up my own management company. So, open that up uh, about twenty-four months ago, and uh, it, it the management's hard, man. It's it's one thing to manage your own properties; that's hard enough. It's another thing managing other people's properties. And just being the punching bag. So we've uh, we've been the punching bag on on every side of the tenant, the city, the owner, and uh, been going through that dance for the past 24 months. We got it pretty dialed in now. We're one of the largest residential management companies in Cleveland, and uh, yeah, so been doing that. And then you know, I, I think I was telling you before, I was reflecting on kind of where I was in business about 12 months ago, and then again, you know, around the holidays, you always sit back, you look at what your goals are, you set your goals for the next year, you're reflecting on, you know, what's working, what doesn't work. And uh, one of my mentors, a guy named Mark Evans, was telling me about, you know, he's in like this $100,000 mastermind group that he pays. And uh, somebody was talking in there about the elf business, easy, lucrative, and fun. And so I was like, how do I make my business easy? <laughs> and so I look back at where I was building all my wealth. Yeah. And it wasn't in the transactional flips. Yeah, that put food on the table and kept the lights on. But where I really was building my wealth was was in the apartment buildings. And it was easier and it was more lucrative and it was just more fun because it got me more excited because I was doing bigger, cooler stuff. So about six months ago, I decided, hey, no more flips. We're not doing any more single family house, like turnkey flips. We're only focusing on apartment buildings. 
And I had grown my apartment portfolio to around 400 over the past 24 months. Yep. And then uh, when I committed that and drew a line in the sand and said, no more other single family stuff, I'm only doing apartments, yep. the universe started throwing me deals. And so I have uh, bought another 200 units in the past couple of months. And I have another 600 under contract to close in the next 75 days. So I'll be over 1,200 units or right around 1,200 units um, by the end of May. Yes, dude. That's a win, yes, bro. It's exciting, man. So, like, let's talk about the wealth process for just a minute because, man, here's the thing. And, and I believe and you hit on it, and it's the same for me. I have made a living flipping wholesaling homes, right? A decent living, pretty good living, right? But I've not become wealthy beyond measure with it, okay? But my first apartment, I mean, I've got more than one, but like just over the first deal that I ever did that I bought in 2011, I sold it in 2018, I made $4.7 million profit. I took that about a $12.7 million deal. That's going to pay me about 400K for life, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not, and it'll only get up because we keep raising the rents, right? Like that's legacy money. Yeah, like, it'll never go away. And like, is, is that not true for you? Like, what what you see now is like, dude, hold on, cash flow is king, right? The more you get that cash flow going, then you don't even have to worry about your daily anymore. Like, yeah, it gets squared you're away. Deal. You're not chasing. Like, I, I remember always being stressed, even though we were making good money. I was just always stressed about the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. Once you have apartment buildings, once you have the cash flow, Corey, like. It's almost like you have this base salary that you know everything's paid for on a monthly basis, all your living expenses, all your vacations and everything. And then it's just about having fun with it and like building it. How big can you build it? How much can you achieve? How, how much can you grow? You know? And so it's, it's not stressful. And because it's not stressful, you can go into deals and negotiate better, posture up more because you can walk away from any deal because you don't need to do that deal. Amen. So, that is yeah, the truth, so, right? You got... It really is. There's an there's an art and a science to it. And I always tell people too. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. So for most people, buying um, what you said, 600 units almost in the next six months or whatever, that may not be as realistic. But then it may not be because like that's really could, could only be a couple deals, right? So, and I want to set the expectation that you know you, you're going to get rich quick, but it is get rich. It is get wealthy, and sometimes you may you know. Buy your first, if you only bought one deal a year, like, like I always go to that, like, what if you really sucked, right? And you were lazy and you just were able to do one stupid deal a year and you did it for five years. Dude, you, in five years, you could be done, like done, done. Uh, you yeah. could be retired. You could be living a life. Your, your properties will take care of you. So like. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a long-term game though. You know, everybody sees what's going on now with you, with all these other guys on doing real estate. I mean, the economy's good. It's easy to see a lot of gurus just all of a sudden pop up. Um, yeah. but, but the reality is, like, I shoveled shit for the past eight years, and it wasn't until a year ago that people actually started paying attention to me, you know? So, like, you, you spent all this time working out, working out. It's like working out, you know? You exercise. You're an overnight that. success, right? Right, right. <laughs> but I've been like, working on it for seven years or ten years, right. right? So, like, it's like exercising. You go to the gym. And you work out every single day. You're, you're lifting weights. You're running on the cardio, on, on the treadmill. You know, you're, you're pumping iron for an hour, maybe two hours every single day for 30 straight days. And nobody can see a difference in your body. Right. You, you can see a difference in your body. You're like, are you kidding me? I've been doing this for 30 days. And then you have to do it again for another week, another week. And all of a sudden, it's 60 days. 60 days of just 
pumping iron, working out, sweating, you know, all the pain that you feel. Nobody else notices it. And now you start to it maybe see a little bit, but nobody else sees anything. And it's not until 90 days, 120 days, 150 days later where they're like, Corey, you've been, you've been working out, man. You're looking pretty good. You know, so like you have to go pump weights. You have to do put in the reps every single day for a long period of time before you start seeing that compound effect set in. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it took me nine years, but I was also a pump kit. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have resources, who have connections, who know people with money. You know, nobody was going to lend a 23-year-old kid who never done real estate before a bunch of money to go buy apartment buildings. But I was resourceful. You know, I was willing to give up a bunch of the deal where I made, I, it might, I made it enticing enough where some people were like, hey, you know what a deal is? Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll throw the money in. It's worth it. And if you screw up, I'll just take the deal back, you know? Right. So I, I think there's definitely an opportunity for, for anybody, no matter where they are in life, no matter how old they are, gender, race, religion, whatever. You know, if you just put your head down, you're willing to work and you don't give up. I mean, that's the key to success. Just yeah. don't quit. Yeah. You know, eventually you'll succeed. And, so, and you got to get you got to kicked in the crotch a couple times. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But you just keep on getting back up. You keep on working. And yeah. um, eventually you're an overnight success. You win or you learn. Right. There is no that's lose. It. Just win or you learn. Yeah. And so like so thinking about the future, what what excites you right now? Like what when you think about the future, what, what's what comes up into your mind? Yeah, you know, so I, I know we, we, we hit on like once you once you have a certain base level of income, passive income coming in, then you can like see how much you can push it. How much can you go to the next level? So I'm actually looking at a couple of skyscrapers right now. That's, that's one of my goals in the next 24 months. Pick up a skyscraper. Um, looking at a couple in Cleveland and, and a couple other cities. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. And the other thing that I really like is, as you know, I'm sure you've invested in. A class, B class, C class, D class kind of areas. And that's completely arbitrary. It's kind of like, how nice is it? You know, I, I kind of say A class is places I want to live and I desire to live. B class are areas where I would be willing to live. E class are areas where I'll go, but I don't want to live there. D class is areas where I don't want to go and I definitely don't want to live there. And so when you've invested in all these different areas, you realize that although numbers on paper look real sexy in C and D class areas, the reality is the biggest expense in owning a rental property is turnover. And in those areas, tenants don't last that long. They last six months, eight months, nine months, maybe. And then all of a sudden, you have, they move out. You got to evict them, spend money on that, spend money turning the unit over. And all the money you made that looked good on paper goes right back into renovating the unit. So I really like B-class. Like I buy all B-class apartment buildings. That's it. And I really like A-class, but I couldn't, you know how expensive A-class properties right, are. It's hard like, to make A-class cash flow. So- you know, again, asking better questions, you get better answers. So I'm like, how can I buy A-class properties and make this work? Well, it's pretty easy with like Airbnb and VRBO and HomeAway and all these other short-term rental services to manage properties and get a little bit more rent, maybe double the rent, maybe even sometimes triple the rent. So I haven't done it with an entire apartment building, but I'm actually buying my, my first vacation rental down at Disney World uh, in the next 30 days. So I'm actually going down to oh, Tampa. Oh, you're, you're going to buy a VRBO kind of type of property? Yeah. So I'm going to try that out, and, and I got my eyes on a couple other things down the coast of South Carolina, Georgia, and all around Florida. And then, um, uh, depending on how that goes, I'm going to I'm going to expand a little bit of that too. Hey, so I keep on I keep on uh, getting asked to like, when am I going to buy a house in Hawaii? And yeah. sometimes I keep thinking, man, that's a great VRBO play, right? Oh, yeah, I've been looking there. They're pretty expensive, but you can you can make the numbers work. Um, With about a million and a half down, because <laughs> yeah. the one yeah, I want to exactly. buy is like right on the beach. 
And, you, uh, you can get some spots that are like across the street from the beach in, in Hawaii for like 2 million bucks. Right. Um, but, but yeah, it's expensive. And, but you know, the way I look at it is it's a class. It's a great, you know, the type of tenant are tenants that are actually collectible. You know, one, it's peer reviewed. So nobody's going to screw up the house. If they do, you got to deposit still. And if they, um, they do screw it up, you know, you got all their contact information from the rental, um, company right. or like RBO or home away and they're collectible. You know, it's somebody who has $6,000 to go spend for a week vacation. Right. So, you know, like, I, I like that asset class and I like the idea of somebody else paying down my mortgage for the next 25 years. And then all of a sudden I own these vacation houses yeah. all around, all around the country. So yeah. that, that's, that's kind of my, my next play. That's, that's, uh, it's not as lucrative as apartment buildings. It's more of just a long-term fun play because I can right. use it. Because you've got you know, you've got your daily. You're like, hey, how can I do this and this and this? How can I find some houses and put them in spots where I want to do and make yep. money still? Yet, yep. have some places that I can go play and hang around. You know, two or three times a year, right? So I think one of the like one of the questions I asked myself that got me into this is how do I get other people to pay for my lifestyle? Yeah. And so I thought, man, I love to go on vacation. I love to travel. And I'd love to own houses all over the world. How do I get other people to pay for that? And right. VRB on HomeAway and Airbnb was was one of the things that popped up. I also think about that like from a car, like I'm not really a big car guy, but I'm like it would be cool to have some some crazy like Maserati convertible. But I I can't justify spending money on a depreciating asset. Right. You know I I won't do it. Like I I see more value in growing my assets and growing my net worth and investing my money in more more uh, cash flowing assets. Right. So I'm not like buying depreciating liabilities, but I'm like, what if I can get somebody else to pay for it? Then all of a sudden it is an asset, you know? So there's like Turo, which is like Airbnb for cars. And, um, and I'm thinking about buying some, some fancy car. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a bunch of uh, dentists and doctors and then we've get the guy that got together a couple of times. Say, he goes, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we all bought like a car and then we swapped them? Cause he goes, every time we like, there's an optimum right. time period that you can sell them. But like, we could trade off cars, right, and go in a circle yeah. with them for a bit, and then we yeah. sell them, right, and it would just like help offset it. And it's an idea we stroked around. We've never done it, but yeah, but we're like, but that's probably what that website or what it, what that does is just the same. Because I mean, everybody, yeah, I mean, like if I can get a shared group to do the same thing, the cost goes down. It becomes more affordable. Yeah. So very cool. Hey, so um, if you could give someone that's new. Or, or that someone that's been in the single family game advice, what would you tell them? On how to get into apartment buildings? Just what would you tell them if you sat down with someone coffee and you said, hey, let me give you something from my brain that's going um, to change your life. What is it? Yeah, I'd say, hey, you need to figure out what your, what your long-term goals are. You know, if you don't know what your long-term goal is, then you can't create a roadmap in order to get to that destination. So I'd figure out what your, what your long-term play is. And if your long-term play is make a lot of money in flipping houses and, and just make a big income, but keep on doing that, then, then go flip houses. If your long-term play is, is passive residual income, and we say passive, you're still working in order to like pay attention to the, the statements, the owner statements, and talking with the management company and all that stuff. But you're not actively swinging the hammers. You don't have to go to work day in, day out. Yeah, let's talk about that for just a quick minute. before. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk yeah, about that, what work really looks like because for me, I get a monthly statement every month for my properties. That's all I get anymore. I used to get them a weekly. Um, I, I asked them not to send it to me because I don't care. Yeah. I, I'm looking for trends in our monthly financials. 
And so that takes me all of maybe 30 minutes to go through my full financial packet per deal. And um, so that's one day a month. That's like mm -hmm. really for the active stuff. Now, when I'm in a deal, you know, that could be a three or four month project where I'm really focused. Yeah. But, um, but that's it, right? Like that's, it's not much more than that. Once it's, yeah, once it's stabilized, there's a lot of work that goes into structuring the deal and all the legal side and the due diligence and, and the value add plan that you put in place in order to get it stabilized. But once it's stabilized, like that's, it starts throwing off some cash flow or refinanced and really stabilized. Yeah. As long as you have good management. Now you have to stay on top of your management because there's some bad management companies out there. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and that was my, that was my long-term play. So my goal was passive income. Are you, are you still doing, are you still doing, um, are you managing your apartments? My team does. I have an investment team of, there's five guys on my investment team. And then I have a, a property management company that uh, with almost 20 people on staff there. So, you know, my, my team handles the acquisition. All, the only thing that I do is raise money. So I raise money for my deals and I, I kind of have the final say on, on what we buy. I have a COO who really handles all the day-to-day -day operations. And then I have an acquisitions guy who just, all he does is find deals. I have a, a marketing and disposition kind of like he handles just insurance and making sure that the, the, the property stays, uh, you know, occupied, helps out with leasing, just kind of works really closely with the management. Right. And then I have a value add project manager. So okay. once we, once we acquire our property, here's the value add plan and he goes and executes that, hands it off to the management company. And that's where my, my marketing guy, my COO step in and handle it on an ongoing basis. So the only thing that I, I go and raise money, Yep. Or projects. And um, there's just something I want to hit on real quick is it's really important that you're also doing deals. Oh, well, for me, it was good because I had so much experience, but I also understand the finance portion of things. So I'm able to go out and speak to people with money and I speak about the operational side of things. And what, what's put me in kind of like a unique position is a lot of the deals that I'm involved in. I, I own a few hundred units up here in Cleveland. But majority of my portfolio is actually down in South Carolina and Georgia, where I have joint venture partners. So my joint venture partners are the ones finding the deals, handling the, the value add project management, and, and managing the properties on an ongoing basis. My role is to sponsor the deals, sign because I have a decent sized balance sheet, and I go and raise the private money for that. So this is like a really, really important point. You don't have to be a renaissance man and you know Superman or Wonder Woman and do all parts of everything. It's yes. not, that's not how this game has to be played. You can, these are big enough deals where you can give a piece of the pie to somebody else and you can, there's enough juice in the squeeze where you're making plenty of money on your own. So what I've done is I've created strategic relationships with other joint venture partners who are phenomenal operators, but maybe not the best at raising private money or maybe don't have the balance sheet that I have. Yep. And so I've been able to go and sit, sit down with them. You know, they send me a deal. Hey, it looks awesome. Let me go line up the money for it. And I'll get anywhere from 20 to 40% equity in those deals. So I'm completely 100% passive after I set it up initially. Yes. Other than looking at a statement once a month. Yes. Hey, I, I got offered a deal yesterday or this week. Powerful, where, man. Where Power. I, I love those deals. Yeah. A guy wants to give me, I think, almost 20% of his deal because he needs a sponsor with uh, it's a 12 point something million dollar deal. And... I have a balance sheet to cover that, right? I have the net worth to make that deal work where they don't, right? And just because of that, they know that that's a big piece, right? And, and, and 20% of the deal, that's amazing. Yes, just the sign 
I don't, and they're like, we already got the capital raise. We already got this. Now, I looked at their capital stack, and the capital stack, they're giving way too much money away. So I'm like, hey, listen, I might be interested in this deal to raise capital, too. But <laughs> if I can get a bigger piece and, and lower your cost of capital, because, like, why pay them when you can when I can make it, right, and just give my investors yep. a deal? So, yep. But that's how it works. All these little things. And most of the time, would you say that most of your deals you have a partner on? Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I, I structure my deals a little bit differently than, than you guys structure. Like I know you do more of a syndication type model. Yep. Um, I do more of a debt type model because all of mine are value add plays, yep. uh, which doesn't work really well for like stabilized deals. And syndication works a lot better for stabilized deals. But for mine, I'm buying a building. Let's say I'm into it for, I'll give you an example. I have uh, 200 units in Atlanta, Georgia right now that I bought 15 months ago. And we're into it for $6.2 million purchase price and renovations. And we just got the appraisal back. It's looking like it, it's at $13.8 million. That's what this thing appraised for. So like the bank is going to give us probably around 11 million, 80% of that on that deal. And we're going to be able to take, uh, let's say about four and a half million dollars off the table, right. tax-free loan proceeds. So, but all I did was, all I did is, was raise the capital for that project and then sign up, sign on the balance sheet. So yeah, I'm personally guaranteeing it while that's going on. But we were able, between me and the operator, we were able to keep 80% equity of the deal. We paid um, a flat preferred rate of return to the private lender. And then we still give the private lender 20% of the deal every single time. Okay. So, so that way, they, even after their money's paid back, they have 20% of the deal. They love it. And then they come back to us over and over again, asking if uh, they can do more deals with us. All right on. So you used it as more of a debt piece. They helped raise all the money for, and you gave them a debt position, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, so I pay them a fixed rate of return of 10%. Uh, and and, and they have, you secured it with the asset as well, right? Yeah, and then I secured it with the asset. Because I gave them an equity piece, I secured it really with the, the operating agreement. So okay. if I screw right. up or if I'm you know, grossly negligent or right. fraudulent. And then when you, can, when, you refi, when you refi with a real bank loan, right, that's when you, they're getting out of, but, they, and, but they're now they're still going to have an ownership piece mm -hmm. as well, right? Yep. So they maintain 20% ownership. So they maintain, they get 20% of that four and a half million dollar distribution. Right. They get 20% of all future proceeds from cash flow and 20% of any future sales proceeds. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So it's a smoking deal for them. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a good deal for us because I plan on hanging out of these things long term. So I want, right. you know, a little bit more equity if I'm going to be doing all the work and, and hanging out of these and managing these for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Beautiful brother. Well, listen, man, uh, that is a great little podcast. We, I think we went through the whole gambit of, <laughs> like, there's lots of juicy nuggets in this. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, on Facebook, uh, Tim, last name's Bratz, B-R-A-T-Z. You can also email me at uh, Bratz at ClevelandTurnkey.com. So Bratz at C L E. T-U-R-N-K-E-Y.com is my email address. And uh, oh, find me on Facebook and, and my website's, <clears throat> excuse me, my website's C-L-E-Turnkey.com. And uh, my contact information's on there too. Cool. So, dude, dude uh, I, I really appreciate you having me here, Corey. This is awesome. Right. Hey guys, uh, before you get off, make sure you go to the Kahoot um, Wealth Builders. And if you've not, download the uh, Quick Start Workshop series. And guys, just remember, whatever you do in life, okay, you can achieve anything that you absolutely want. The first thing you got to do, though, is believe. Believe with your mind. And your paradise 
is possible.